Welcome back to episode three of Sports Talk, the Canadian side of Detroit, Michigan sports. I'm your host, Steve. Please follow and subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. On today's episode, I had the honor of having former three-time Major League Baseball World Series and Detroit Tigers coach Trent Clark on the show. Hi, Trent. Hey, how are you, buddy? Good. Welcome to the show. Alrighty, so uh, you said you grew up in uh, Battle Creek, Michigan? Correct. And uh, kind of explain um, how that was growing up in Battle Creek, Michigan. Yeah, so I grew up around, you know, Kellogg's, of course, right? That is the staple company of Battle Creek, Michigan. My father was an accountant and taught school at Kellogg Community College there and taught accounting and had a little business in town doing a lot of tax work and on the boards of many banks. And so I uh, went to Battle Creek Lakeview, good, really good sports programming. And that's what I was into. So that was the right place for me and um, loved it. It was a good place to grow up. But I got to tell you, man, I, uh, I couldn't wait to get out either. Like I wanted to see the world. I had been playing hockey and floor hockey in Canada since I was 10 or 11. And I, was constantly going across the Windsor border there and into uh, Agent Court and Toronto area and uh, all sorts of different places to play. And so it was a, a really great place to grow up. Um, I got a lot of exposure, I think, by playing, you know, travel baseball, right, in uh, Battle Creek where you had uh, Bailey Park and the home of the national championship there for baseball in the summer. And that was a big deal. And so our travel team, which was really early back then, there wasn't a bunch of travel programming, I think, before this, but there was a lot. And we were pretty good. And it was a lot of our high school team that stayed together. So by the time we hit high school, we were in the state championship my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Very successful program. First Michigan school to do that. So it was, uh, it was a good run. And when I turned 18, I was out. <laughs> <laughs> And now, now you're, um, you said to me that you're coaching your, um, son's team now. Yeah. I coach a lot. I have five kids and four boys. So my oldest is 23, 20, 17. And then I have a, a freshman girl, she's 14 and then uh, a young boy and he's 10. So, yep. And my 10 year old is just getting into the travel thing and all that. So it's starting to get fun. He's loving it. Well, they grow up so fast. Eh? We have, we have three, um, and they're 16, 18, and 21. Mm -hmm. So they grow up really fast. Yeah, it doesn't take long to remember that 21 when they were like two going, hey, what happened? <laughs> like that, yeah, was, exactly. it was just, no, that was just a minute ago, right? And yeah. it doesn't, uh, it just does not take very long at all. So we're pretty close to the same age when we started following the Tigers. So I started mm -hmm. following them in 88 when I was 11, and you were – you followed them in well, when you were 14, correct? Yeah, I really – I started on the Tigers much earlier than that. I mean, obviously, 84 was the year they won. I think I really – so I was really a Cubs guy, right? Because in the 70s, it was about, you know, WGN and Dave Kingman and all those guys and uh, back in Chicago. And, and you could see the Tigers, but it might be one or two days a week, right? And – you know, the TVs weren't great. You were on the dial. And if you didn't get the channel, it wasn't like I was in Detroit with a big sports programming package. So 
we were lucky to catch the Tigers once or twice. And I would watch a lot. And of course, you know, Mark the Bird Fidrich, right? You know, I think it was 77 or 78. And he came on the scene and my dad got us tickets. And I think that was one of the first times I went into Tiger Stadium. And man, I was hook, line, and sinker in, right? We went to old the old area. It's not the best part of Detroit. Not at that time, not a great part of town. And uh, remember walking in and just, I, I remember coming up that bleacher area to see the bird and, you know, the grass just so green and just the perfect, perfect lawn. It was just, I was, I was in man, Steve, it was, it was everything I ever wanted. So you were there, you were there a little earlier than I was. Cause I didn't get to go till 88, but uh, I would say, Lou Whitaker is the reason why I started wanting to play baseball and watch sure. baseball. Yeah. Sure. That so was- that was, you know, you fast forward to 84, the bless you boy Tigers, right? And you got Sparky Anderson, the famed big red machine. And uh, I did see uh, him coach there uh, as a young man. I had family down in Cincinnati and we went to uh, a, a Reds game and saw Joe Morgan and Sparky and the turf, like AstroTurf, man, that was a big deal. And, um, yeah, I just remember that being such a great experience. And then now Sparky is the manager of the Tigers and what a, wow, what a treat we have. And, you know, of course, Kirk Gibson out of Michigan state, and it was just such a dynamic team. And I was, you know, watching every game, you, you couldn't take your eyes off it. And, and, uh, so what a, so what a great magical run. And that was, you know, me at 14 years old and now, you know, two years later, I'm in a you know a state championship game, and then two years after that, I'm headed to college, and that was really my audit of excellence was you know state championships. To then, I went to the junior college national championships in tennis, and then I played at the University of Toledo, both tennis and baseball, and we're trying to win MAC championships and all that, and then then. 1994, um, my career somewhat stalled. I've got a pretty significant shoulder injury and, um, the Detroit Tigers hired me as an intern strength and conditioning coach. Cause I got my degree in exercise science and PE from Toledo. And, uh, I, fortunately coach Saban was at Toledo when I was there, I got to know him. So I had some really good references, uh, of people that knew me. And I went in, 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 uh, the fall of 93, just before the off season and started working for the Tigers and Sparky in his last season, uh, as we went 94 in the strike and, uh, and Gibby was back. Lance Parrish was back. I mean, it was, uh, and Whitaker and Trammell are still 10, 11 years later, right. Still shoring up the middle of the infield, uh, just a little bit older and maybe a step slower, but both still hitting and working hard and playing hard. It was, uh, it was, it was magic, Steve. It was unbelievable for me as a kid. Now, see if I like for me, like I first saw Trammell and Lou Whitaker, um, with the London Tigers when they played. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ontario, right. Yeah. So that's where I first saw them play. That's amazing. Right. Like these I two know. guys, because I don't even think people think these guys ever had a minor career because their major league career was so long. Right. <laughs> like they did with these guys ever in the minors. Yeah. Probably for a minute, but they were both so good and coming so fast. And by the way, too, I don't know if there's two more opposite styles and, and personalities, right. They're very different people. And uh, what, what a, what a treat 
to meet those guys. And I, I had a couple just fabulous moments um, that year. And I, one of the best ones was uh, 1994 spring training. Uh, so, so my, my history was of course tied with the voice of the Detroit Tigers as a kid. Right. And you know who that is, right? I do. Who is that? Tell everybody. But I'm having a brain fart right now. So oh, okay. Help me. <laughs> Ernie Harwell. Ernie Harwell. Right? So, yeah. So Ernie, Ernie, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my father had a den in, in our house and it was right off the backyard. It was really cool. He had a screen door to it. So, you know, we'd be racing around football, baseball, hockey in the driveway and basketball, whatever. And then, it, you know, lights out. I'm, I'm running home to beat the streetlights home. And I'd pop into my dad's office. I wouldn't even go in the back door to the kitchen. I'd go to my dad's office if I saw his light on and I'd plop myself in my seat, see what my dad's up to. And he'd have Ernie Harwell on, right? And that was, we were listening to the last four or five innings of the game and Ernie calling it. So I go to Detroit. Um, we go to spring training. I go to, of course, uh, Lakeland and I'm on campus and we're there a few days early and uh, getting set up and everything as the staff. And I sit down on this seat in, in the cafeteria at 7 a.m. in the morning, tired. And this voice behind me gives me the, hey, fella, you think I can sit with you for breakfast? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I totally know that voice. <laughs> right? Like, wait a minute. I'm like going, I turn around, I'm like, uh, uh, you know, sure, Mr. Harwell, sure. <laughs> like, I'm like a 24-year-old kid. And Man, I go through this whole day and, you know, there's all these stars and I'm a little bit, you know, I'm used to that a little bit from playing and stuff. So that wasn't such a big deal. But, you know, I could not wait for the end of the day. And I finally get to about 6, 630. You know, everyone, the players are all done about two or three o'clock early with pitcher catchers only. And and uh, I, I wrap up the last workouts. It's probably 630. I'm about to go to Chow Hall. This is before cell phones, right? 90, 94. And I, I jump on the phone before I go back to the cafeteria, like, dad, Hey dad, like I had breakfast with Ernie Harwell. <laughs> like, like it like made my day. Like it was the whole deal, man. And uh, so it was really cool. Like there was just so many magical moments, you know, interviewed from my local television, Tom Selleck and spring training, right. I'm, I'm throwing the ball with Magnum PI cause he was such a big tiger fan. Right. And so there was just so many things. And also, I learned, um, you know, I trained with a lot of athletes that was common and, uh, coming up, uh, my style, I'm a, I'm a small guy. I'm like five, six, 165, 170 pounds. When I played maybe 175 tops about strong, but, um, constant workout guy. And I was fast. And so, uh, made me an all Mac player, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I got into spring training and I remember, one of the first days I ran with Kirk Gibson and I realized like, man, I'm not built like he is. And I'm running, you know, 98% of my speed and Kirk's running at about 80, 85. Like he's not breathing hard yet. Right. And I'm like going, I don't think I could keep up with this guy if he really turns it on. Right. And that was, that was weird for me. I didn't know a lot of players like that, even at my collegiate level in a division one program. And I just recognized right then, like there's another level here that I'm just not on. And it was, it was pretty special to see some of these players. 
That's great to hear. Um, I want to know, tell me what you think the biggest difference from coaching in the 90s to baseball today is. Well, I mean, it's come a long way from my aspect, right, of strength and conditioning. We know, you know, back then, you, you, you probably remember there was a big kind of row in Detroit about Sparky didn't really believe in lifting. And uh, Lance Parrish carried the bench press out, right, and said, I'll take it home and work out because he was a workout guy, right? He's a country strong guy. I think he's from the central states. And, you know, he was a good high school football player. We lifted. We got strong. He thought that's what made him good. And I and I didn't disagree with it at all. He was a good player. And so we worked hard. And I worked for a guy who came out of U of M, a guy named Brad Andrus, that was probably hired by Bo. And so strength and conditioning was coming on. And Sparky was old school, right? So it was very different. Um, a lot of people still felt like, hey, you're going to get big and you're going to lose flexibility. And, um, and a lot of the old school – coaches were like that and felt that way. And I, I would educate them and we had a very, uh, very experienced staff with Sparky and I would sit down and talk to them and say, you know, Hey, when you played, what did, what did you do in the off season? They're like, Oh, you know, I carried ice blocks upstairs and I delivered ice. It's <laughs> like, what? You know, this is in the forties and the fifties before heavy duty refrigerants and stuff like that. So th this is their job. And one worked on the railroad. I'm like going, Hey, take a look at this guy we just signed for two and a half million dollars. Do you think, you know, he's driving a, a brand new Escalade, you know, a hundred thousand dollar truck and he doesn't need to do that in the off season, right? Like he's got money. So if I can go get him in the gym for two hours to maintain his level of fitness, that's going to be critical for his success. Like you physically worked in the off season. They don't have to now. And so they got that. I mean, I thought that was a really, that was kind of a turning point, but there were still lots of people and really until McGuire and Conseco came along and you really saw somebody, but you put like everyone back in the day, love the Mick, right? Mickey Mantle. Oh, Mickey Mantle, does. Mickey Mantle. And I was like, yeah. Okay. So what did he do? Like he's a farmer, right? And they're baling hay and he's grabbing wet hay with the two corner chalks, right? And he's picking up now wet hay. Those bales are going to be 75 to hundred pounds and throwing them up in the top of the barn. So his forearms are getting massively strong from this grip, right? And then he has to rotate his body and sling it up, which is very similar to the muscles utilized he's going to do to swing the bat. And when you watch Mickey Mantle swing a bat, like it's like a guy swinging a wiffle ball bat. Like it's like, whoosh, and it just makes that sound. It's like unreal. And that's how like, Hey, there was strength and conditioning back in your day. It just looked a lot different. The body doesn't know stress. Like it, that's all it knows is, is stress. However you apply it may be different. So they really, so, so I, I convinced a lot of the old schoolers that this was really going to be valued to them. Um, and so fast forward to today and now it's nutrition. It's all the things that we're really doing better to prepare the body for what's about to happen. And I think you see that now you see a lot less career ending injuries and that doesn't mean there's not still surgeries and everything else, but um, it's been mitigated by a lot. And so it's created a lot more opportunity and I'm amazed at how many bodies I see at 19 that, you know, those, those players would all be in the major leagues 30 years ago, but now they got to compete with everybody else that's learned too. So the level of competition physically and mentally, I think has been upgraded massively. 
Yeah, I think the big thing for me is um, you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the pitch count on starting pitchers was as big as it was back then as it is now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah, I would probably agree with that, right? Like it was competitive and it's like, hey, you've been throwing a baseball your whole life. Um, I, I don't think anyone was stopped at 110 or 120 pitches. It was like, hey, you're doing great. Keep it up. 156, not bad. If we're going to go extra, he's like, wait, what? So today that would seem outrageous, but um, we just we just have tried to, uh, you know, quantify the amount of stress on somebody. And so one of my jobs in that in that game, and all the games have something different, but as you go through a very harried, long, stressful season of professional baseball and 162 games and 25 spring training games, I mean, and go to the playoffs, you can easily hit a 200-game level very quickly, right? And so it's a lot of stress on the body. So people always say, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And there are times that you get on the road and, man, you start rolling into August and you it's hard to know where you're at. I mean, I've woke up in the morning and gone downstairs and head out for a run. And I'm like, hmm, Baltimore Thursday. And, you know, the concierge is like, hmm, Monday, Minneapolis. <laughs> like, what? Like, you don't sometimes even know. It gets long and hard and you're focused. And I think the average is what, one day off a month in the major leagues? It's not. Think about that. You think about people who work going, man, I'm living for Friday when I get my weekend. Well, you make all your money in six months in baseball and you're paid that way too. And so not, not the staff necessarily, but as a player. So you are making it during that time. And then you're not on staff or salary during the other time, unless you're Bobby Bonilla. Right. And so, so for those contracts, it's a very different way about the way it goes and it's long, arduous and hard and recovery is important. So there's this gray area of, how much can I push the body and where I can stay fit, sharp, alert, healthy. If I do too much, it's overuse and you've got problems right now. We've got, you know, all the overuse symptoms, like, you know, the body's going to shut down. You're going to have injury. If it's too little, it's atrophied. So it's the same thing. It's going to shut down. You're going to have injury. So like there's this gray area and what, what might be really perfect for you, Steve, wouldn't be perfect for me because it's all based on our size, experience, your tolerance, what you've done in the past, all these things factor into it. So there's not this one formula fits all in any way. So what is, what's your opinion on the current Tigers team? I think as of today, they're only seven games behind, uh, under 500. And if you told me mm-hmm. in May, they'd be seven games under 500 in August going into September, I yeah. think you were crazy with that roster. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've really, uh, well, quote unquote overachieved, but like what was on paper. Right. Um, and I think that's, I think they're in rebuilding, right. We know that they're, um, you know, continue to rebuild and become competitive. Um, it's hard. It, it's too bad that I just feel like all of Detroit's in a rebuilding phase, right? Like it's just not the Tigers. I feel like it's, um, you know, the whole thing, you know, we got the lions, we got the Tigers, we got the Pistons, you know, we got the Red Wings. And it's uh, as a, as a kid, that's always had uh, a team that's been pretty competitive in one of those to root for. It's been a couple of rough stretch for us, local Michiganders, right? It's not been easy, but that's kind of the game. Um, I love, I love, uh, I love the competitiveness. I would love to see 
our pro sports programming. And we know it probably won't happen because there's so much money, but I would love to see him go to the premier league style, right? I would love to see major league baseball go to relegation. I think that would be so fun and would be so great for the game because you know, front offices have a lot to lose. They've got owners got a lot to lose, but I would like nothing more than to see, uh, you know, the Baltimore Orioles relegated and the Buffalo, you know, AAA team or Salt Lake City or Charlotte or Indianapolis. These are great cities. Louisville. I mean, all of a sudden you're in the major leagues. I think that would be fabulous. I would love it. That's a that's a great idea. I never thought of that. Yeah, that is a good good idea. I think it would give, and it also makes you competitive at that next level, right? You're developing players for sure and talent, but at the end of the day, there's a value to that AAA uh, win, right? That uh, the best of all AAA who gets talent could actually be promoted. Now, the difference is, is these are organizations, right? So you're using organizational talent. So um, it's a challenge of how that might look. I, I don't know how they would separate that and, and make it work well, but um, in the Premier League, the Championship League, you know, they have players on loan and all sorts of stuff. They've got some rights holdings and things in that category, but it's um, it, it would there'd be after a lot of changes. I don't know if it ever worked, but I just love to see it. I think that would be so exciting and take another level and jump of competitiveness to the whole thing, which would be just fun and awesome. So let the listeners know um, where they can find you now, your website, your YouTube. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. Just fill them in where you are right now in your career. Yeah. So I own a company called uh, Leadershipity, and that's the itties of leadership, right? When we talk about uh, integrity, humility, authority, morality, spirituality, stability, quality. I mean, all those things we want in our leaders, right? Coachability, responsibility, dependability, um, adaptability is a big one right now. And, and uh, we help organizations build cultures of coaching and create environments of teams of coachable champions. And that's what organizations thrive and are sustainable in, uh, similar to the O2 angels that want it. So that's a big one. You can find me at Trent M Clark or leadershipity on all the social networks, big on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on, uh, Instagram, Facebook, of course, and uh, the leadershipity pages, the company pages are on both Facebook and LinkedIn and our YouTube channel at leadershipity, the YouTube channel. And we do a show called the Winners Find a Way Show. And that's a podcast as well. So we have a lot of uh, great things that are going on there. Well, it's been an honor having you on the show, Trent. Um, hopefully we can have you on again. I would love that, Steve. Thanks for having me. Always a, always a treasure to talk to, you know, the Canadian and Detroit fans that so close with Windsor. It's just a suburb of Detroit. Most people don't understand that, right? That's a, it's a, they're, I'm sure they're torn between the Toronto clubs and the Detroit, but it's always been, uh, for me, a part of the kid growing up. Just, uh, just felt like a part of Detroit. Loved always visiting and being over and great people of Windsor and, and Canada that have always treated me very well and a lot of clients. So happy to be on, Steve. Thankful for the opportunity to spend some time with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Trent. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again. Very good, Steve. Thanks a lot. Once again, I'd like to thank Trent for taking his time for being on the show. 
Remember, you can always find Trent at leadershipity.com on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the other social networks. It's now time for thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down to the Lions for going 0-3 in preseason, but hey, it's only preseason. Thumbs up to Taylor North for winning the 2021 Little League World Series. They are the first Michigan team to win it since 1959. The Tigers just won the series versus the Reds on the weekend and head to Pittsburgh on Monday for three games. The Lions open the NFL regular season versus the 49ers this Sunday at home. Listeners, we need you. Please send in your questions, comments, so you can be on a future episode of Sports Talk. I'd like to thank all my listeners from Canada, U.S., Germany, and now Tajikistan. Thanks to my wife, Kelly, for helping with co-producing. In two weeks, episode four, I will chat with William Glasser about the first week in the NFL. Until next time, keep talking Detroit sports.